Yeah, we're taking a little time off from Acts this week and next, and we'll get back to it. But uh, Palm Sunday, good, good Sunday uh, to uh, reflect on, on the Lord's Passion Week. Um, Abraham Lincoln was inaugurated March 5th of 1865. You all remember that. And uh, just over a month later, like barely a month later, the Civil War ended. And that was uh, April 9th, 1865. And I'm looking, where's Carl at? Because Carl knows all this stuff, right? This is, this is like, he, this is probably all on the test for uh, Friday coming up. And then, uh, and then le- a week later, April 15th, 1865, uh, Abraham Lincoln is shot there at the Ford's Theater, and, and we know the rest of the story, as they say, but that was the closest analogy I could think of to kind of Palm Sunday in terms of the, the timing of this. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on, uh, on a donkey. The, the palm branches are being waved. The people are shouting. You know the story. I don't think anyone here, unless you're brand new to the Christian faith, um, ha- has not heard uh, of that story. They're, they're hailing him as a king. They're shouting, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus knows as he's riding in there with all that triumphal procession, with all of the hailing him as a coming king, he knows that within the week he will have been put to death. It's an amazing turn of events. It's a very pregnant moment in, the, uh, in the, um, the life and the history of the people of God there in Jerusalem. Uh, here is the rightful king riding in to Jerusalem. It is his city. It, it is his temple that, that he is coming to. It is his people, his people that he has come to redeem. And we are told that he came to his own, but his own received him not. But in a sense, they kind of did, at least initially. In Palm Sunday, there's, there's this proximity that, to the truth. They got close to the truth. They hailed him as king, and indeed, that was correct. So we're going to kind of look at that portion, the good part of that, and, and make application to ourselves. As they received him temporarily, albeit temporarily, uh, as king, we want to receive him as well. So that's the big idea today. Welcome Jesus into your life. And there are five reasons I'm going to give you from the text as to why you should welcome him. First of all, welcome him because he is the rightful king. He is the rightful king. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. So the the feast that we're talking about here is, well, does anybody know which feast this was? Passover. Yes, it was the Passover, not the Feast of Tabernacles, which we have to kind of say that because the Feast of Tabernacles actually employed the use of palm branches, and this is the Passover, and that's not really normally the time when they would haul out the, they're improvising, they're improvising, they didn't expect this, they didn't know they were getting a king coming in, and so as they see Jesus coming in, and he's just raised Lazarus, and so there's just all of this messianic hope, like this is the guy, this is probably the, the one we've been waiting on, the king of Israel. They go and get palm branches because palm branches, not, I mean, they were readily available. That had to be number one. But right along with it, it was, uh, it, it was the national symbol of Israel. Did you realize that? 
And that's not biblically the case necessarily, but it, it became the national symbol that was attached to the whole idea of Israel. In fact, the Romans actually minted coins uh, to be used in the land of Israel, and it had the palm branch on it because that was such a significant thing. It would be like, like wheat shocks here in, in Kansas. It was that much attached to their national identity, and so they're waving this, and it looks like a, a real political rally kind of was. It looks like the Make Jerusalem Great Again rally uh, of that era. There's just this, this great sense of this, this idea that there's this leader that's going to change everything. What they're shouting from, is taken from the book of Psalms. It's taken from a group of Psalms that ends in Psalm 118, and it was called the Hallel. The Hallel, and this was sung by pilgrims as they would go up uh, to Jerusalem. And within that, there are, these, there are these words, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they added to that, even the king of Israel. I'm going to talk to you just briefly about that Psalm 118. You can have your finger in your Bible if you want to, or just listen to me if you like. But in Psalm 118, which, I, as I said, is being quoted here, it's a very fitting psalm because it was a psalm that was as I said, sung by pilgrims coming into Jerusalem. It was commemorating some great moment in Israel's history that we have since lost the handle on. Like Bible scholars will disagree and con there's conjecture about what the great event was, but they, it, it is a processional into Jerusalem. I mean, the king is probably there involved coming into Jerusalem. It may have been the rededication of the temple. It may have been a battle that they had won. But it was considered by the Jewish people to be messianic, meaning speaking of Messiah, the anointed king of Israel. In verse 22, you have that off-quoted verse, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone which Jesus fulfills. Alongside of Psalm 118, you have the quote from Zechariah, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, in the scripture they quote, and in their very words, they are acclaiming that Jesus is the king, that he is the, the rightful king to sit on David's throne. It's very nationalistic, as I said, with the palm branches. And it's clear from that, I think, along with everything else we know. I mean, it's not just the palm branches. But the palm branches certainly solidify what we, what we know, which is that they were expecting a political deliverer. They were expecting someone that, that was going to champion them and drive off the Romans. You and I, even though the Jewish people didn't receive Jesus correctly as king, yet they saw him in that moment as king. We need to see him as king. And that means taking Jesus rightly. It means taking Jesus as he is. When you look upon Jesus Christ, he is not a Rorschach test. He is not, you know, Oprah Winfrey once famously said, well, my Jesus wouldn't do thus and so. My Jesus. You, you don't get your own Jesus. Do you, under, you, you know that, right? I know it sounds, I mean, it, sound, it, would, it just pleases our, our soul and our, and, and, our, and our own ego to think that way. Well, my Jesus. He is, I mean, he's your Jesus, but he's not 
you're Jesus. He, he's Jesus. And that means that, that he's not only the coming Savior into the world, but he is the king. And we, when we take him, we don't take him. And, and this was a thinking years ago that some people would say, well, you take him save, as Savior. And then years later, all at once it dawns on you, oh, wait, he's a king. I should take him as Lord as well. No, 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 no. You take Jesus, and Jesus is the king. And, you, and then that unfolds to you, and you, under, you start to understand more and more what that means. But you can't split him into different things. He is the king. He comes to rule, and his rule is good. Faith in Christ is, is, is a belief not only that he is king, but that he is a good king, a gracious king, that his rule, that his reign in our life is a good one. But take him, receive him, because he is the rightful king. Secondly, be, welcome him because he is joy. Welcome him because he is joy. It's very easy to see the joy here in the passage, the exuberant way that they welcome him. The feel is like kind of like, um, oh, I don't know, welcoming home the Jayhawks or something like that. Anybody into that here? At all? I'm not. I'm just not into basketball. Did anybody actually follow that whole thing? A few of you did. Okay, just a couple, two or three of you did. Um, yeah, it, it kind of has that sort of feel. This is Jesus at the, at the absolute apex, the zenith, if you will, of, of his fame in, in Israel. And part of why they are joyous, John explains here. He says, the crowd that had been with him when he called uh, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So they're excited. They're pumped up. They did not have a resurrection every day of the week back then. I know we think that they were you know, old, uh, superstitious people. They did not know what resurrection was any more than you or I. Their, their cemeteries stayed pretty placid, pretty even keeled, just like, just like ours do. But this, this sign, it spoke to them that Jesus really was the, the coming king. Take that along with Psalm 118 again. Look at in verses 10 through 11 uh, of Psalm 118. You have, the, first of all, that proc- proclamation of his, of his victorious nature. It says, all nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. So, so the, the imagery from Psalm 118 is of this, of this king, of this, of, this, of this victor. And he's just performed this sign, this, this wondrous sign. And they're going, yeah, all right, this is good. This is looking good. This is, this is shaping up. Verse uh, 22 to 24 of Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, you know that. That gets quoted often in the New Testament. And then it says, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. How many of you are hearing that in its context for the very first time in your life? How many have seen it on a little coaster or on your coffee mug? This is the day the Lord has made, and on the backside, because he made coffee or something like that. We've all seen that, right? And when we hear it quoted, we always think that people are saying, well, this, this day, today, whatever day it is, this is the day the Lord has made. Now, I'm not saying that theologically that's altogether wrong. Obviously, every day is a day which the Lord has made, but that's not what it's about. The verse is saying this is the day. What day are we talking about? The day that the king, the Messiah, comes into Jerusalem 
having destroyed his enemies. This is the day that the Lord has made. And that takes us right back to the first point, which is uh, we are to welcome him as king of our lives, not with dread, not with resignation or a sense of loss. When Jesus comes and takes up his kingly realm, it is a moment of pure joy. It is a moment, you, you, you see it in the waving of the palm branches. How many had a little bit of joy this morning, just a feeling of a, just kind of a touch of joy here with the children? Why is that? How does that just get right to our souls somehow? Yeah, um, there, there is no rock, chop, jayhawk chant. There is, there is no uh, tomahawk chop that rivals what the people of God felt in that moment as, as they saw their king. When we take Jesus, we ought to have that joy. This is the day. The day, what day? How about the day he rides into your life? And he proclaims himself king, and you welcome him. That's the day that the Lord has made for you, and that is the day when you have joy, when you rejoice at, at its fullest. Welcome him also because he is love. He is love. When you go to Psalm 118 again, so we're spending a lot of time in Psalm 118, but I think that's fair given the way it's being quoted here. Um, the very first verse and the very last verse of Psalm 118 are the same. Now, before I read that, what does that generally mean when you see a repetition surrounding a passage? Kind of means that the theme within those two bookends are going to all kind of relate to that. Look at what it says in the first and then the last verse. I won't read both because they're the same. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. This, so, so this victorious king coming in to Jerusalem to reign, the Messiah, it declares to us in some fashion that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. It connects those two things. Now, uh, I'm going to hit another psalm really quickly. Psalm 136. Psalm 136 uses that same phrase, that the, that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. It's the only Hebrew sentence I know by heart. Yeah. Ki le'olam hasto. And it gets repeated 26 times in Psalm 136. Well, what Psalm 136 ends up doing is it rehearses in very brief detail, but in about 26 verses, it, it rehearses the fact uh, of God's redeeming work in his people. So it starts with creation, I believe, and it goes up, and you have the captivity in Egypt, and you have the plagues, and you have the going through the Red Sea, and you, and, and you have being led through the wilderness, and then finally brought into the promised land. So it's, it, it, it is a recitation of God's saving work with his people, and it just keeps hitting that refrain. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. So if Psalm 118 utilizes those, the, that same thought and sandwiched between those two, those two pillars of God's steadfast love is the work of his Messiah, then what does that say about Jesus? It says to me that Jesus is therefore the embodiment of the steadfast love of the Lord. That he is the embodiment of God's saving, redeeming work for us. This is how God shows his steadfast love. is through Messiah. is, is, is through his redemption. It's like it says in Romans, but God shows his love for us, for us in that while we were, were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. Really, all the saving purposes of God in the Old Testament that are rehearsed in the Psalms are foreshadowing of what Jesus did in saving us. And that shows God's love. When you look to Jesus for salvation, you are looking to the proof of God's love. When you are looking to Jesus, you are seeing in him the very embodiment of God's steadfast, enduring love, which does not pass away. Now I'm going to take a little weird turn here on you. Because I'm going to mention the Song of Solomon. You're like, what? Well, that's, that's weird. Nobody quotes Song of Solomon from the pulpit. But... I'm not saying that this is a, a prophetic uh, thing. I'm, I'm using this as strictly for an illustration purpose. But in, in, um, in the Song of Solomon in chapter 5, there's this, uh, i got to give you the setup. There's the, the, uh, the maiden, right? There's a maiden and, and her lover, and, and that's pretty much the whole story right there with a lot of, a lot of uh, content. Uh, ladies, you'll, you'll enjoy it. Um, some of you guys will enjoy it too for that matter. But anyway, um, she's in her chamber and she hears a knock and, and, the, and the latch actually moves so she knows her, her lover is at the door. And uh, the problem is, is she hesitates. She hesitates. She doesn't go immediately to the door. It says, I open to my beloved. So she's finally gotten herself up and she's gone to the door. I open to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. And so the, the picture there is this kind of wistful, unrequited, too little, too late kind of deal. Like she just, she just didn't get going fast enough. And by the time she gets to the door to greet her love, he's gone. Isn't that a horrible thought? Isn't that, a, isn't that just, a, just a, yeah, it, it, it's one of those that just leaves you going, oh man, how, how bad would that be to miss it by just that much? And uh, so I think that says to us that we are to embrace the love of Christ when we become aware of that love and not delay, not put it off. How, how awful would it be to hear the gospel, to hear it, and many people wait and they hear it over and over and over again and it's like that hand on the latch and they think well it'll still be that hand will still be on the latch next week and the week after and 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 maybe yes and maybe no maybe no how do you know that you won't hesitate to the point that it is too late don't let that happen when love is there that's the time to embrace it that's the time to receive it and that's why you should welcome jesus Welcome him because he is peace. Now we're going to go from Psalm 118 and all that background to that Zechariah portion. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey colt. Now at first glance, that may seem weird. I know you're familiar with it. How many are familiar with the fact that Jesus rode in on a colt full of it? Yeah, it's, it's a common picture. We have that. But if you really just strip it away, and sit, you go, well, that's weird, isn't it? Why are, they, why are they so excited that Jesus is riding into, why didn't they go, well, that's weird. What is he doing? What's that, what's that all about? Well, they knew, they knew this prophecy. 
Why is the king of Israel, the Messiah, coming into Jerusalem, not on like a great, I mean, I think of all the great big horses that are just magnificent animals like the Percherons, you know, and, and, uh, and I'm about out of big horses in my vocabulary already. Uh, Clydesdale, yeah, Clydesdale, Percheron. They're beautiful, aren't they? Just gorgeous, big, you know, flaring nostrils, snorting power. Just, you, you see all that power, and you think, why isn't the king riding in in that fashion? Well, here's the reason, right? Zechariah is looking to a day of salvation, and in that day, that king who rides into Jerusalem will be a king of such power and such strength. He will have vanquished all of their enemies to the extent that there is no opposition left. And he can ride in with that air of humility but, but he, he, he already is reigning over all of, all of his enemies. None of, them are, none of them are willing to even come out to the battlefield anymore. That's what it's picturing. Do you understand? Look at what it says in Zechariah. You say, well, I'm not sure you're right about that, Jay. I am, actually, uh, in this case. Look at Zechariah. Same, same, it's just the next verse after the oft-quoted verse 9. It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. Ephraim's Israel. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. So he is reigning over all. He has no opposition. Think about that, how that would play out in the Ukraine. If you want to understand how God's people looked at Jesus riding in on, on that donkey, think, think about the Ukraine. Imagine if someone were to come along, a deliverer, um, who would push the Russians just completely out of their land and push them back so far and defeat them so, so handily that there would never be another missile pointed at, at the Ukraine. Can you imagine, can you imagine just the elation, the exuberance, the joy that they would feel in knowing that, that their enemies had been so completely vanquished that, that, that they wouldn't even need to have to have a standing army any longer. That's what the people of God saw. That's what they, the, the, what they believed when they saw Jesus coming in as they hail him riding in on the donkey and as the people of Jerusalem see that inactive, enacted prophecy, they see a king that they believe is going to just reign and rule. And, you know, we talk often about how well they were going to, he would destroy the Romans. Well, he, he would at least push them out and reign with such power that, that they would not be even a factor any longer. And so, of course, a few days later, when Pilate brings Jesus out in what looks like a very submissive fashion, and he is bruised and bleeding and wearing the crown of thorns, and, and mockingly, Pilate says, Behold the man, behold your king. And they, what do they shout? <laughs> Crucify him. That's not, that's not what we're picturing. That's, that's, not, that's not the king that, that, that we are imagining. You see, they understood peace one way. And, and of course, eventually, when Christ returns, there will be that, that type of peace, that global, yeah, peace on earth. But they, they forgot a different kind of peace that, that was spoken of concerning the Messiah from Isaiah 53. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us 
peace, that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus defeated all of the enemies that really endangered God's people. Sin, guilt, shame, death, Satan, the curse of the law, the wrath of God, all of these had been dealt with. He worked peace. He brought reconciliation with God. The greater peace that God's people need, needed but didn't understand, Jesus brought. Many people in the world today are exactly as the people of Israel were then. And by that I mean the world wants peace. We, we long for peace, amen? When you watch the news, do you not long for peace in this world? There's also a billion dollar industry selling chemicals that are supposed to give you peace. Why? Because people don't have peace. They're anxious. And I'm not against, uh, by the way, the use of anxiety-reducing medications, so don't hear me that way, but I'm, I'm just saying the world knows its need of peace. It knows it. It longs for it. The problem is, in many cases, people are longing for peace, but it's a peace how they define it. What they want when they say they want peace is they want to be able to do whatever they want to do, follow whatever passion, desire, scheme, dream, self, you know, uh, adulation, whatever it might be. They want to do all of those things, hurt whoever they have to hurt to get there, but then sleep well at night after the fact. That's the kind of peace they want. Jesus rode into Jerusalem as the king of peace, but for that peace to take root, the only way for that peace to be realized was to surrender to that prince of peace, that king of peace. Welcome Christ, dear, dear sinner. He will bring you peace. He will. He will bring you, first of all, the peace that you don't even know you need. And that is peace with God. You don't understand that that is your greatest problem. It's not whether you sleep at night. It's not whether you feel anxious feelings. Your greatest need is for the gospel of Jesus Christ to save you from your sin and to bring you to peace with God. That is the peace you need. And then when that peace comes upon you, he, he, will, he will start to work that peace in a way that, that you actually feel a, a peace in your heart that can transcend all understanding. He'll begin to work peace in relationships that have been broken by sin, by your sin, by the sins of others. He will begin to repair those things as you live and, 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 and submit to Christ. Christ's reign is a good Rain. It is a peaceful rain. But it is, it is a rain all the same. same. He must rule. For us to have it, we must surrender. Finally, welcome him because he is gain. He is gain. The leaders are watching this. The Pharisees are watching along with the other Jewish leaders. And, um, and it's unsettling to see all of this excitement for someone other than them. They, I mean, you can imagine how that, that plays. It says, uh, 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 so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. There are two ways of looking at Jesus that are kind of really pointed out here. 
Um, they wanted to consolidate power. They wanted to retain power. Jesus comes in. He is a threat to that. They resented his popularity. They fear that he's going to destabilize and, and, and just kind of ruin the whole thing. They're afraid they're going to lose out on what it is. They, they, they're like, we're not gaining anything here. What are they saying? We're in danger of losing it all. We're in, we're in danger. This guy endangers everything that we feel we have a, a handle on and a grip on and control of. And so they don't like what they see. Palm Sunday perfectly illustrates the loss gain calculus of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Either he represents to you someone who wants to steal your life and many, many sinners look at Jesus that way. Many who are without Christ look at him as a threat to their self-rule. They want what they want. And they don't want Jesus interfering. And that's often why they hate the church. Because they attach with it. You know, when the church proclaims the, the word of God, when the church proclaims the gospel, they look at that and they go, that's not what I want. You're threatening to take something away from me that I hold dear, and don't you, don't you dare do that. So there's, there's that way of looking at Jesus, that, that he's there to somehow steal and take everything that you have. But then there's the, there's the alternate view that, that sees him as that, as that king of love and peace and joy and gain. Jesus said that uh, if we lose our lives for his sake, we gain it knowing Christ is gain to live is Christ to die is gain either either you look upon Jesus and you think I want to hang on to what I've got now you understand you're going to die right even Elon Musk is going to die I don't think he knows it but but he we're all going to die so you're you, you know if you're against Christ if, if if you're resisting Christ chances are you're trying desperately to grasp hold of something that you cannot possibly keep and you see Jesus as a threat to that and you're hanging on to it for dear life you're like I don't want Jesus to come in you know we, look we're gaining nothing we're gaining nothing with this guy coming into town or you can look at Jesus and realize that 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 he is a a gift of God's steadfast love, which will endure forever. That when you come to Christ, you are, you are brought into Christ. You, are, you, are, you come into union with Him, and you will not only experience His good reign in you now, but you will reign with Him forever. As He endures forever, you will endure forever with Him. But yet, you, you have to come to a conclusion. Is, is, he, is he loss or is He gain? And which, which of those losses and which of those gains do you, does your heart really desire christian consider this day what having christ means to you you have his good lordship in your life and you know how good that is you know how inept you were at running your life how many felt like you're pretty worthless at trying to do it on your own i mean i yeah i am so glad for the reign of christ because I, I don't know what i'm doing and, and, and in him you have love, you, you have joy, you, you have peace, all of this. He is gain. In him you've gained your soul. And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This you have because you have said yes to Jesus Christ and, and his good reign. If you don't know him today, I invite you to consider him. Maybe you've literally never really thought about Jesus. And maybe Palm Sunday has always just been a story, and, and, and it's the palm branches and the children singing, and that's all it's ever meant to you. But I, just, I would just ask you to consider him today 
as he rides in there and you see him meek and lowly riding on, on a donkey's foal and, and, and just to consider what it would mean to surrender to him. What would you really lose? What, what are you hanging on to that, that's so dear that you would give it in exchange for him? What, what, what would you ever put on the other side of that cosmic scale? If you've got Jesus over here, the very emblem and proof of God's love, what, what would you ever try to balance that with that, that you're clinging to so, so desperately? I want to remind you of just that, that, that verse from the Song of Solomon where, where she just waits. There's, there's the latch at the door and it's moving and she, in her heart she thinks, my love's at the door, but she, she hesitates. And when she gets there, he's gone. Don't wait until love has passed. Don't wait until that opportunity is completely gone. Embrace Jesus Christ today. Take him. Take him as as Savior. He is. He's the very evidence of all of God's savings, saving work toward his people. He's the distillation of all of that salvation. But he's also king. Take him as Savior and Lord today. And, and you will be saved and you will experience all of the goodness that we've talked about. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, the familiar Palm Sunday and, and the waving of, of palm branches and, and the joy that, that we felt in, in the singing, in the worship time. Lord, and just impress upon us again, again um, I assume most people that are listening to this today know you and are in Christ. Just fill us with a sense of the goodness that we have that comes to us through him and all of the, all of the things we've talked about that it just might grow in our heart and, and give us a, a feeling of contentment that we might leave here with joy and contentment and peace and, and that sense of your love. And Lord, we do pray that, that someone might hear it and be drawn to Jesus, that they, might, that they might sort of sense that latch moving at the door and spring to their feet and run and, and open to him and look upon him and see the love of their, of their soul, the lover of their soul, and, and be drawn to him today. We ask that you would do it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.